This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. We're going to catch up with Nirmal Ghosh, Straits Times U.S. Bureau Chief. There are quite a number of issues to look at. We have, first of all, former U.S. intelligence officers advising their successors to stop with their boasting in relations to the Ukraine-Russia war. We are also going to take a look at the potential demise of the Rob V. Wade and what to expect from the U.S. ASEAN summit that's happening this week. I believe that starts on Thursday. On the line or to help us out is Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for the Straits Times. Nirmal, former U.S. intelligence officer are advising their successors currently in the office to keep quiet and stop boasting about their role in Ukraine's military successes. Now, we need to know what has led these former officers to this point. I mean, why is there an urgency to tell them to, you know, just kind of keep everything on a down low? And with regard to this boasting, what kind of potential repercussions can we expect if it continues? Hi there. Good morning. Well, the issue is the U.S. wants to avoid being seen as a co-combatant, that the war remains between Russia and Ukraine strictly and not between Russia and any other country, especially, of course, a NATO country. But it is becoming a thin line. And when you have Ukraine being armed by NATO countries and you have statements or claims saying the U.S. helped Ukraine do this or that specific thing, in this case, perhaps targeting Russian generals or sinking Russia's flagship, the Moskva, then it escalates in that direction. Russia can say, see, the U.S. is in effect to all intents and purposes at war with Russia. And this takes it to the edge of a wider war. This is what analysts call mission creep. And the longer the war continues, the greater the danger. That is why, while the U.S. is helping Ukraine with intelligence, the U.S. has pushed back on these specific claims, if you will, saying, no, we give battlefield intelligence, but it is not about targeting individual Russian generals and so forth. But you can see that the line is blurry by its nature, and that is a worry. Hence the calls to tone it down a bit. And the U.S. also says that while it does provide intelligence to Ukraine, What Ukraine does with that intelligence is very much solely a Ukrainian decision. Normal federal protections for abortion rights have withstood legal challenges for nearly half a century, but the Supreme Court draft opinion revealed in an extraordinary leak showing the High Court poised to strike down that long-standing president. Let's talk about this abortion rights in the Roe versus Wade drafting the demise. I mean, how can this case, uh, the superchargers in the 2022 midterm elections, how will it affect that? Tell me more. Right. So it is important to remember that culturally there is a very wide gap in this country between conservatives who want to preserve what they call American values and the subtext is white Christian values and others who advocate progressive values. The election of Donald J. Trump in 2016 was certainly in part a backlash against progressive values like same-sex unions, for instance. And Roe versus Wade has been the sort of holy grail here. It was no secret at all that a big part of the strategy in 2016 was to win and then to engineer a conservative majority on the nine-person Supreme Court bench, which would then overturn Roe versus Wade 
making abortion in effect illegal, or more accurately, leaving it to individual states to decide. And President Donald Trump did just that. So this is not a surprise as such. It was always a target. Now, the ramifications are going to be very profound, pretty seismic. If this draft, and it is a draft, if this comes through, then divisions will exacerbate. More than half of American women of reproductive age live in states that could seek to ban or further restrict access to abortion based on such a ruling. According to a New York Times analysis, 13 states, mostly in the South and the Midwest, would ban abortion immediately or very soon. Some may even make abortion a criminal offense, treating it as homicide. That means a lot of women, if they want an abortion, would have to go to another state and keep quiet about it. But there are big numbers of women who can't afford to go a distance to another state to have the procedure done. They simply don't have the means. This will, in fact, in some states, disproportionately affect black women. To say this will supercharge the midterms and potentially the 2024 election is putting it mildly. The United States faces some pretty stark choices ahead. This is not over. The judgment is yet to be handed down, but there have already been protests in the streets here in D.C. at Congress and at the Supreme Court. But Democrats are in a losing situation in terms of stopping it. They don't have the numbers to do anything really significant to stop it. And by the way, one common complaint among many party supporters is that the party is not aggressive enough when it has the numbers. But back to the elections in November's midterms and in 2024, this will be a very emotional and divisive issue. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. On the line right now with them, Gosh, U.S. Spirit Chief for the Straits Times. I want to stick with the uh, potential demise of the Rob versus Wade case. Now it seems tech companies in the U.S. are figuring out how to respond to a post-Rob versus Wade world. Could you give us a clear picture of how these tech companies will be affected by the demise of this case or the ruling of this case? And how have tech companies responded so far? What kind of legal issues such companies might face if the ruling is overturned? Right. There are a lot of implications for companies in general, things like paid leave and so forth. But for tech companies in particular, as I mentioned, a woman who lives in a state that criminalizes abortion and gets an abortion in that state or in another could be prosecuted and using her online search and travel trail, perhaps as evidence. If a woman were to say, Google abortion service providers, legal or illegal, there is a morass of legal implications, legal liabilities to sort out. Some companies like Salesforce and Amazon have already responded to increasing abortion restrictions in some states by offering to support employees who want to relocate or reimburse workers who travel out of state for that kind of procedure. But the big question is, will tech companies share their user data with law enforcement? And another question is, will they allow abortion-related content to remain on their platforms? Because suddenly something that has been legal nationwide won't be legal in roughly half the country. How will they deal with that? A lawsuit filed by former U.S. President Donald Trump seeking to reinstate his banned Twitter account was tossed out by a federal judge in California. Normal, how has the former president reacted to this so far? And why is he desperate to get back on the social media platform? I mean, some have said that he encouraged Tesla CEO Elon Musk to buy Twitter. How true is this? Elon Musk considered Twitter's ban on a sitting president to be overreach. Musk is a free speech absolutist. To what degree Donald Trump encouraged him to buy Twitter, we don't know. Perhaps there was no direct encouragement, but tacit encouragement, I would think, yes. Trump 
was kicked off Twitter. So he had no interest whatsoever in Twitter continuing with the same management. So we do know that he certainly doesn't mind that it has changed hands. And now we have him saying a couple of weeks ago that he doesn't want to go back on Twitter anyway and will stick to his own social media platform, which is called Truth Social. But you never know with Donald Trump. He will ultimately need to get back on Twitter simply because of the reach. But one thing you can be sure of is that he will extract plenty of mileage, plenty of drama from this and keep people guessing. Nirmal, final question. And I want to turn the attention to Cambodian Minister Kao Kim Hwan, who has come forward to say that U.S. President Joe Biden should treat ASEAN leaders with respect and spend useful time with them to improve ties. Now, what made Mr. Kao make such a statement? I mean, would you consider this a frosty or a bad start for the U.S.-ASEAN summit that's happening this week, later this week, in fact? Also, could you share with us what can we expect from the summit? He was referring to the fact that, so far at least, no ASEAN leader will meet President Biden bilaterally. That is one-on-one. It is a message, certainly, that, to quote his exact words, as a big country, a host country, the United States should be more generous to the guests, the leaders who are traveling to Washington, particularly as the president is going to be talking about elevating the strategic partnership to a comprehensive strategic partnership. He said the ASEAN chair, in this case, Cambodia, Prime Minister Hun Sen will be there, should normally meet with the host, formally or informally. But apparently America's ambassador in Cambodia had said he was not aware of any such meeting on the schedule because President Biden was busy. It does serve to bring up a slightly awkward issue, and that is the Cambodia Democracy and Human Rights Act, which was introduced in 2021 by three senators, two of whom are Democrats, and would, if passed, empower sanctions against Cambodian figures. That act says Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Sen, and I'm quoting from it, continues to engage in a crackdown against human rights, democratic institutions, and political opposition. Under Hun Sen's leadership, the ruling Cambodian People's Party has maintained one-party control of the government in violation of the Cambodian constitution, and so on and so forth. That brings up the question for the U.S. of the optics of the President of the United States, which places values very high on its foreign priorities list, meeting with Prime Minister Hun Sen. So that's the subtext here. We will have to see if they find a creative way to have a meeting. But otherwise, what we can expect is commitment again to the usual free and open Indo-Pacific ASEAN centrality. And also, as was mentioned, the elevation of a strategic partnership to a comprehensive strategic partnership. And we will have to see what that brings with it. All right, thanks very much. We've been speaking with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Nirmal, we'll catch up with you again next week. Coming up, we've got news as well as a finance update. And then on why it matters, we'll talk about the best digital marketing approach that uh, perhaps would suit your company. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.